Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au working on sort of behind the scenes for a bit for the last, um, uh, well, basically since the end of sort of back end of 2020. And so I'm going to give you a fair amount of info this morning, and I apologize about that up front. But if you'll just stay with me for a bit, um, I believe what we're going to do is uh, we're going to talk about a bit, of a bit of a roadmap ahead as a church. I know we all love hearing the word roadmap now. Thank you, government, PR, and marketing department. Whatever genius came up with that, with that term. Um, but I, I want to give you a little bit of a, a plan for uh, how we're heading forward as a church because we're going to be uh, presenting today what our life groups look like for the year. Now, you might be new with us or just unfamiliar with this language of uh, life groups. So let me explain. I'm going to take a decent amount of time with this because, because for me, I, I like to know the why behind the what. And I think it's important that we can all grasp the understanding of, okay, why, why are we doing this as a church? Why are we uh, moving forward this way? So uh, in the Bible, in the New Testament, which is like the last third of the Bible, uh, the book of Acts records what happened immediately after Jesus was resurrected from the dead and then ascended into heaven. So it starts with Jesus, like I said, who was risen from the dead, telling his disciples that they needed to go and wait for a promise. Now this promise is the Holy Spirit. And he said, you know, because I'm going to be heading to heaven, but in a bit he would return. It's his like Arnie Schwarzenegger, you know, I'll be back moment. Like maybe it wasn't quite like that, but basically same, same type of deal. Jesus is like, I'm coming back, but what you need to do is go and wait because there's a promise. God's Spirit, His Holy Spirit is coming. Anyway, 50 days later, I'll just emphasize that, 50 days. I, I don't know about you, I don't like waiting, but like 50 days um, after some prayer and fasting from uh, the disciples, what happens is that the Holy Spirit comes and fills these followers of Jesus um, and lives inside of them in this uh, spiritual sense. So these, these followers of Jesus, they receive uh, this power that God comes by Spirit and fills them with. Now, if you're a little bit nerdy like me, the original uh, Greek word for that is a word called dunamis, which is where we get our English word dynamite from. So there's this sense that the Holy Spirit comes in this explosive way over those uh, followers of Jesus uh, right there in, in, in the book of Acts. And so a guy called Peter preaches as signs, as wonders, as miracles. Thousands of people repent and believe in Jesus as the Son of God and the church is birthed. This is all at the start of the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts records this exciting start of the church, which is filled with great momentum and growth, also filled with great challenge from people lying about how much they've given God, so God strikes them down dead, to persecution from the Jewish authorities, persecution from the Roman authorities, uh, arguments over who's looking after the widows and orphans. And in all that, the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour, and that He is the Son of God, gets spread out uh, right from this cent central place of Jerusalem, essentially, to the whole world. But in all this sort of excitement and chaos and miracles and, and great challenge that happens, there's this pattern that's set up. And we're going to read it just quickly in the book of Acts chapter 2. 
uh, verse 46. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, I think it'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, it says this, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. This is speaking about the early church. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, in our time, we don't do the temple, which is this, uh, every day. We do it once a week. But in this pattern, the temple is, is the church gathering together. And we see that there's this pattern that they gather in the temple, and that's us here this morning, but then they also, they, they break bread, it says, from house to house. So right here at the start of this New Testament church, there's a value placed on the large gathering of people. The original word for that is ecclesia. It just means, it doesn't actually mean the building. It means people, it means a called out group of people that will come out of the world and gather together in a place. Um, so there's, there's that sense of temple and gathered together in unity, worshiping God together. And there's also the small gatherings, the Bible describes them as breaking bread from house to house. We call them because breaking bread from house to house sounds a little bit strange. And sometimes there's bread, sometimes people are gluten intolerant, they have to you know, work on the bread. Sometimes people like sourdough with multigrain, other people don't. So, you know, it's just not quite as, not quite as catchy. You know, so we go for life groups, a bit, a, bit, a bit simpler. But that's where the Bible says there's hospitality, there's food, there's sharing of life, there's the Word of God, all with gladness and simplicity of heart. Um, now, a couple of weeks ago, I gave a bit of a, a picture for our church when we spoke about future and where we're going, a bit of an analogy of, of where we're at as a church. And I said, and this is no offence to all the teenagers here, but I said, our church is a little bit like an awkward teenager. You're like, what, what do you mean by that? Well, there's parts of the body that have grown, parts of the body that are still catching up. We might trip over our feet a little bit. We've got, you know, obviously it's a, there's a great sense of God's presence here as we're gathered in unity on Sunday and, you know, where there's still a few seats uh, that, need to, that need to be filled. But, you know, we're, we're moving that way. But then in other senses, there's a part of the body, the church body, that needs to grow and develop strength and maturity and keep going that way. And so, so that's okay because part of being carrying a mature spirit is realizing and being okay with where you are, but then also having a vision and a plan for where you're going. We don't have to be everything all at once. We know that God has got us on a journey and that's the same for us as a church. And so, so we believe and we have some fairly concrete goals with our ministry team around this that part of our maturing as a church is not just to see the, the, the temple, the, the community, the Sunday grow and flourish, but that community starts here but then really it's lived out in deeper relationships with others. And life groups are like a trellis that provide a bit of a structure for those relationships, those uh, journey of discipleship around God's Word to grow uh, from there. And you know, like one of my old pastors used to say, he used to say that smaller church is a little bit like an under eight soccer match. Everyone just follows the ball. You know, there's a big group. Have you seen little, ki little, kid, little kids play? And it's a little bit like smaller churches. Everyone just follows the pastor. And, that, and, that's, and that's okay. That's okay for a moment, but there comes a season where there becomes change as well. I had the great privilege of um, coaching my son's under six soccer team uh, last year. Uh, we don't keep score, but we won uh, every game except one and then drew the last game. But, you know, we don't keep score. Um, 
And so you're constantly talking to them like, spread out, spread out. But then I remember one game, they actually started to spread out, but the problem was the other team didn't. So you've got like one kid with like a ball of kids from the other just running at them. And I'm like, oh no, what are you going to do? Push up together, push up together. Don't spread out, don't spread out. Because in under six soccer, um, it's, it's important to be close together. Otherwise, it's one person on five kids running at them. And it's a little bit like that with smaller church. It's okay. It's not that it's wrong that it's like under eight soccer, but also just like in soccer when you mature and grow and realize there's position and you can pass the ball and not everyone needs to be all at the same thing all at the same time. There's an understanding and a growth that happens. And I I believe that for us as a church, that's where we're heading. We're heading to a place where we've seen growth We've seen uh, God do amazing things. We've seen marriages, just uh, God come in and do a wonderful work. And then we've seen miracles happen. We've seen people uh, get houses, get jobs. We've seen the great work of God here. But as you develop and grow, life groups form a vital role in that process. And so, so life groups are a place where we grow in relationship with others. We build trust and openness with each other so we can let our guard down a little bit, take off the masks and be authentic. That doesn't always, well, never happens in the first time. But as we build that trust with each other, it happens. And that we grow in relationship with Jesus Christ together through discussion, through prayer, through sharing stories and having the Bible as our plumb line, as our strong foundation. And we have fun and we enjoy life. And most of the time we eat food. Because if you read the New Testament, Jesus usually was coming from having a meal, going to a meal, or he was sitting at a meal. So, so I'm just going to say that Jesus was, wow, that's the biggest shout I've ever had in this place. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Come on. He was the original foodie right there. Come on. He had the olive oil. Of course he had the olive oil. He was, uh, but anyway, we won't, we won't go there. Otherwise we'll all get hungry and you'll be keen for me to wrap up so you can go and eat. But what we want to do is we want to present to you the current life groups for this season. We have a few more in the pipeline and our philosophy is to have a variation of times, of locations, of stages of life, of crossover stages of life. We want to cast a wide net so that we can be um, applicable for as many people as possible. So if we can maybe show that screen, Tina, with the life groups leaders, that would be awesome. So we have one blank white photo coming soon. But uh, our life groups for for this season, some of these have been running already. Some of them are about to launch. So uh, my wife Rachel and Emma run a ladies one. We see that there on a Thursday night. We have um, Gavin and Lizzie are starting a brand new families one. Uh, On a Friday night, that's launching term two. Uh, Chris and Jackie's Young Adults one. They paid them all five bucks to cheer when it came to this part. No, Um, great leadership. We love it. Um, Running an awesome Young Adults one. Uh, Annette is uh, launching a ladies one soon, which is exciting. Pumped for that. Uh, Kevin has a men's one, which meets Tuesday night. Give Kevin a huge cheer because he's running kids ministry at the moment. Can you hear us, Kev? Uh, Ani is running a ladies one on a Thursday morning, which is exciting. And then uh, Justin and Sarah Hill and Johan and Sonia have an adults one starting in term two on Tuesday night as well. Those guys are away at the moment and they're not big Facebook users, so I couldn't steal their photos online. Something about privacy or something like that. Ridiculous. But let's give them a cheer so they can hear us in uh, all the way in Albany. So... 
If you'd like to be involved in any of those, we want to invite you. You can either speak to those people, you saw their photo on the screen directly, or you can fill in a red card. There's a red card in front, uh, in the back of the seat in front of you. And just write your name and contact number on there, tick I'm interested in life group. Uh, if you know the one you might be interested in, write that. If you like, I have no clue, you can write I have no clue, and then we'll get in contact with you and help you to find a place where you can grow in community together, where you can grow around the Word of God, have a great time while you're doing it, and start to really form and continue that journey that God wants us on. And so... Really, we want to honour all those leaders and hosts who are putting up their hand to say, not that they know everything, but they'll do their best in community with you to create an environment of hospitality and growth, of listening, of praying, of having each other's back. We like to say at this church that we're, uh, there's a paradox because we're tight-knit, so we have each other's back, but then we're open for new people to come. You see, usually in the world, it's either tight-knit and then it's hard to get into. You know, have you been to those places before, those clubs or those associations? You're like, wow, everyone's known each other for 20 years and they're talking about, you know, jokes from 15 years ago and I've never met this person before. And it's just, it feels like, you know they're tight-knit, but it's hard to get into. Yeah. On the other side, we've all been places where it just feels, it's welcoming, but it just feels really shallow, like there's no, there's no depth of relationship there. What we're called to be as a church is tight-knit, have each other's back, pray for each other, speak well of each other, but also at the same time be open and ready for the people that God is bringing into this place. So, so that's where we're at with, uh, with life groups, which is awesome. One of the other uh, developments where I want to uh, speak into this morning is that this year we really feel led to bring through our life groups place even more emphasis on seeing each and every one of us grow in our relationship with Jesus. Now, I know that sounds obvious. You're like, well, of course, like what were you doing beforehand? Like, isn't that, the, isn't that the whole point? But this is coming from a slightly different slant that uh, really uh, Rachel and I felt like God's speaking this to us through the, you know, through the COVID lockdown. I mean, obviously for uh, WA, we only had 12 weeks of no physical gathering um, here in the church, right across, you know, obviously East Coast was a lot more than that. But really right across the church worldwide, it made, it was like this stop and pause moment where people went and leadership went, you know what, if we can't gather physically on a Sunday, like if people don't get, you know, the 30 minute message, the, you know, four, four songs, like is there enough, are we building enough in people's lives that they'll have a relationship with Christ without that stuff going on as well? Like is there, is there enough on the inside to go, I don't just need, hopefully the messages are helpful, but I don't just need that as the perk up just to get through life, but I know that God's really building something on the inside of my life. And so questions like, you know, like I said, it, you know, does my life, does my everyday life, when compared to someone who doesn't believe Jesus, if I take church attendance out of there, is there, is there a difference? Or is it more just I, I, I come to a place on a Sunday and that's what makes me a Christian? Because that's not what the Bible says. Sorry, I'm quoting my old pastor. It's so funny. He used to always say, going to church doesn't make you a Christian, just like going to Macca's doesn't make you a Big Mac. <laughs> That's so classic. I swore to myself I'd never say that, and here I am years later saying, saying the same thing. There's, there's something about it. It encourages us. 
It grows us. There's power as we're gathered together, as we worship together, as you lift your voice, lift your hands, declare the great praises of God. There's, there's something powerful that happens, but it's got to be more than that as well. And so in the second half of last year and this year, I've been doing a lot of reading and listening around this idea of spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices or habits. And basically, these are the fundamentals, the groundwork, the foundations for our faith in God. Oftentimes, we answer this question, so what's different about us compared to those that don't believe in Jesus? We, offer this, we answer that question with a belief, well, you know, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and all that stuff is great. And, you know, we have a declaration of faith, we believe in the Nicene Creed, like all that, all that sort of stuff is awesome. But... Following Jesus is more than just saying you agree with a set of ideas or a certain worldview. It's more than just giving mental assent and saying, yes, I believe in something. Jesus called us to follow Him, to imitate Him, and to be transformed, the Bible talks about, into His image. An author called Dallas Willard in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, he speaks about, now I was a 90s kid in the church, so I know this one very well. He speaks about this movement of, who remembers WWJD? You know, what would Jesus do? Come on, you might have had the bracelet or the t-shirt or the merch before it was called merch. It was just, I don't know, t-shirts and bracelets, whatever. Uh, you might have had all that. And, and so he, he speaks about this and obviously what would Jesus do is a pretty decent question. But there's a better question than that. The better question is, how would Jesus live each and every moment? Because, you see, just asking the question, what would Jesus do, sort of gives us this sort of sense that we, we go through our everyday life, we come to a bit of a crossroad, a bit of a decision, and we have to go, oh, flip, okay, uh, what would Jesus do? Oh, he'd go left, not right. Okay, cool. And then we just keep on going like along our road and then we get to the next decision or something happens at work or in a relationship and we go, oh man, okay, uh, you know, let's open the good book. Okay, what would Jesus do? Oh, okay, I'll decide to go this way. And even though making those choices is important, there's a greater way that he's called us to live. Because Jesus didn't walk around and go, oh, what would you, I mean, what would I do if I look at my bracelet? Okay, all right, all right, I would, I would do this. No, he lived his life, he lived his life with a rhythm and a pattern that connected him to Father God. And then when he got to those moments, it wasn't like, oh, gee, what should I do? It was, I know what the Father's heart is for me. I've been living in relationship with him. I'm connected with him. I don't have to stop and all of a sudden ask, oh no, how am I gonna live my life how Jesus did now? No, I'm gonna set patterns and rhythms and things in the everyday of my life that connects me to Jesus. And that's what takes me forward for where I'm going. Jesus had habits and patterns and rhythms that built him and placed him before the transforming power of Father God. And then rather than stopping going, oh no, what would I do? He responded out of a life that was connected to God each and every way. Uh, sorry, connected to God each and every day. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Romans 12, verse one and two. He says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Notice Paul says that 
we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That our faith has got to come out in this body somewhere. It doesn't just stay in our head and stay in our minds. Yeah, I believe God created the world. Okay, awesome. No, no, it's got to come out in how we speak. It's got to come out in how we act. It's got to come out in the patterns and the habits that we, that we put in our lives. But these patterns and habits and disciplines that we place, they aren't actually the end goal. As I said before, what they do is they place us before God in relationship with Jesus so that by His power, we're transformed into who we're truly created to be. Because God has got a plan and a purpose for your life. He's got an identity for you. As, as humankind, we tend to try and place our identity in stuff or in achievement or in who we know or where we live or you know a myriad of things. But God has an identity for you as a son and daughter of the Most High God, as a plan and a purpose for you. It doesn't matter your age or your stage of life. There's still destiny and purpose on the inside of each and every single person's life. And as we, as we apply these things to our lives, it places us before God. And He speaks that destiny. He speaks that identity into us. And so... I'm saying all that to say in our life groups, we're going we're gonna to take some time and for two months at a time, we're going to focus on one spiritual practice so that we can build patterns into our lives. Now, our life group leaders have resources to aid these discussions. There's Bible reading plans. There's even some books for sale uh, in the cafe. Um, plus, at the start of every new theme, which is, which is today, um, I'll be devoting the Sunday message to go, you know what, in our life groups these next two months, this is the spiritual practice. This is the, the thing that we're hitting that will place us, as we build this into, as a pattern into our life, it'll place us before God so that we can grow and become all that God has called us to be. So I've used about three quarters of my time just with the setup. All right, so that's, that's, that's the setup, okay? Don't worry, the, the last part is not as long as the setup. But if, you, if you're with me for the setup, hopefully here's the wrap in like 20 seconds. We've got life groups starting. We're doing worship the next two months. Done, all right? That took me about 20 minutes to say. Okay, but let's read from John chapter 4, verse 19 to 24. Uh, there's a woman that Jesus meets at the well. And the woman says that, um, I perceive you're a prophet because he does a few things, tells her a little bit about her life. And then she asks him a question. She says this, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Verse 23, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. If you were to pick one verse that potentially summed up what worship is in the whole of the Bible, I, I'm going to advocate that you'd pick that last verse that we just read. That God is a spirit 
And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. But, but if you remember just for a second, we, we read more than just that one verse. This was part of Jesus' response to this Samaritan woman's question about where to worship. Remember, she said, you know, Jewish people say here, but us Samaritans say another place. Come on, Jesus, I'm trying to get it right. I think you're a prophet, a guy who told me about my life and got, said you could get water from this well. Tell me, where, where is the right place? How do I get this worship right? But you see, the woman's asking the wrong question. That's why Jesus redirects her. Um, and he says that, well, she's asking about the form. So how, where, where do we worship? She's asking about the mechanics of it. She's asking about the external factors. You know, are, are we allowed to have lights when we worship? Should it be blacked out or should it be open up? You know, should it be, you know, three fast songs and one slow song or two and two? Or like how, you know, what time should it be? She's asking about all these type of factors. But Jesus redirects her and says, no, 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 that's not the right question. The right question, or his response, sorry, in verse 23, it's repeated, 23 and 24, is it's about worshipping God in spirit and in truth. I would say another way of saying that is Jesus directs us to the heart, that's the spirit, that there has to be some connection of our spirit with God's spirit or it's not worship. That singing, praising, praying all may lead to worship, but worship is more than any of them. Our spirit, our heart must be ignited by a divine fire of God. There must be a connection that goes below the surface. And so Jesus is saying that's what true worship is. But notice he, he gives two parts. He just doesn't stop there. He just doesn't say it's just about heart connection. He says in spirit and in truth. I'd like to add that truth is about our life, our everyday life, that the type of worship that God is looking for is for people that will go beyond Sunday, beyond just the singing of a song and realise that worship is something that we do each and every day, that's lived out in our everyday lives, that worship is connection to heaven. It's the human response to the greatness of God's love, of God's mercy and His grace. And it's important to remember that it's a response because I want to tell you that God made the first move. The scripture we've been sharing over the last couple of weeks that has our word for the year, which is wide open spaces from Romans 5 in the message. Just before that, it says that we throw open our doors to God and at the same time, we discover that He has already thrown open His doors to us. Here's the deal. God loves you before you loved Him. God called you before you said yes to Him. That He had a purpose and a plan for your life long before you even gave Him the time of day. That God made the first move. Just like in Genesis, when God goes looking and seeking for Adam after He you know, eats the apple or mango or whatever fruit you want to insert in there. You know, after He does that, God goes after Adam. He's seeking after Him. As Jesus was on the cross at the crucifixion, he said, it says that he, would, he draws all men and women to himself through that act. Just like the father of the prodigal son stood a long way off and saw the prodigal son coming back, that's how the father looks out for us. That he made the move, that he looked for you long before you ever looked for him. 
And the passage we read, verse 23, says that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. I love this sentence. The Father is looking, or some translations say seeking, for those who will worship Him that way. As we start to wrap up this morning, I want to encourage you that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, but also that Father God is looking for those who will worship Him that way. That the worship song that we sing is just an avenue that has the potential to lead us to a place where we connect with God. That the lyrics that we sing on a Sunday or in our everyday, they aren't, they aren't the worship. They're just a human attempt to describe an attribute of the, of the greatness of God. Where we're gonna sing again in a, in a few moments, a couple of things we're gonna do before that. And you can sing the words, you can move your lips, you can even do all the actions. I, I remember growing up in church, I knew that you clapped in the fast songs and you lift, lifted your hands in the slow songs. But there came a point in my life that it had to go beyond just doing the right things, that there had to be a connection. You see, that's why when we sing, I think there was a couple today as well, but I was thinking of that song, Good Grace, that we sang last week where half of it is, whoa. <laughs> you know that song? Or The Blessing, where you sing amen like 76 times in about, in about five minutes. But why is that worship? Because, not just because it says amen, but it's just a vehicle and an avenue that we use to connect with God. Now, I'm not saying you can sing any words. You know, I'm not saying you can necessarily crank Justin Bieber and meet with God that way. And, you know, maybe you can, maybe you can't. But what I am saying is there's something that goes beyond lyrics, something that goes beyond words, that God's seeking those who are truly worshipping in spirit and in truth. That there's a heart connection then also it's something that's lived out each and every day.